Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. On this podcast, we like to discuss topics around creating and capturing demand in higher education. A little bit about Concept3D before we jump in. Concept3D serves over 600 happy customers in higher education with our best-in-class interactive maps, virtual tours, and event calendars. Improve your campus communications, student engagement, and recruitment with our powerful location-based virtual solutions. So my name is Shiro, and I will be your host today. And today I'm super, super excited to have Kyle Campbell join us. Kyle is a marketing leader in higher education, and he's the founder of Education Marketer. He has tons and tons of experience, both in-house and in ed tech as well. So you can, he's able to see things from both sides of the spectrum. So Kyle, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's really good to hear people who work with higher ed clients talking about demand gen. Um, it's not a word that's uh, circulated very much in the sector. So yeah, looking really forward to getting into today. Appreciate that. And before we jump in, let's have an icebreaker. Do you want to start us off with one fun fact? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's quite obvious to people. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a gamer if they're watching the video version of, of this. And, yeah, my fun fact is that on the, I think on the first copy of Pokemon, Pokemon Blue, I've clocked up about 255 hours over 25 years. So <laughs> it's just sitting there on my Game Boy. I love it. Yeah, I'm a huge Nintendo fan, so um, kudos to that. Great. Well, let's jump into the topics today. I'm really, really excited to talk about what we have lined up. Um, I think it's it's a growing topic in the space and something that people are not talking about as much. So, um, Kyle, I'd love, I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about creators and what are creators in higher ed? Yeah, I mean, the, the words... Uh... The word creator, it's, it's, it's more the sort of next step of where influencer culture is, is going. So we started out probably around 10 years ago now, maybe a little bit longer, talking about influencers. And these are people who build up uh, huge, huge followings and then tend to monetize based on, on mass audiences, mass undifferentiated audiences. But what we mm-hmm. see now in, in social media is this pivot towards the, the creator who uh, tends to have a much smaller audience, much niche niche audience, um, but they have higher engagement. So it's, and there's more of them as well. So it may be the case that you couldn't have um, many influences in the world, but uh, with the huge variety of digital tools available now and you know, social media platforms pivoted into discovery and having all these programs available for creators, there's just a whole uh, lot more opportunity for, for people to build digital businesses uh, by creating and monetizing their digital content. So for the universities and higher ed specifically, there's there's a few different ways that that comes to the fore. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more in detail in a bit. But essentially, it's working with student creators, um, publishing on, on their accounts, building partnerships with uh, young creative talent and um, on getting our brand in front of people in, in different ways that we, we haven't really used in the past. Got it. And I liked your uh, definition for a creator, how it's a little more niche, um, yeah. targeted audience. Is is there one thing I'm seeing is also like 
I'm, I'm kind of thinking from an Instagram perspective, but like an influencer, someone that has a huge following, but maybe not, isn't like good at producing content. And like the way I see a creator now is like, they're also not only good at creating a following, a niche following, like you said, but also like creating content, de developing stories and uh, doing things a little bit differently than what I would consider an influencer. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm not um, here to attack influencers. I mean, they've built these followings. Right, right. Talented at what they do. Um, I, I'm not an influencer. Um, but, but, yeah, you, there is some truth in what, what you're saying. A, a creator tends to be known for a, one thing or a topic or, or a theme. Um, mm -hmm. And they become very adept and like an expert in that in that area or an entertainer in that area. Um uh, Joe Polizzi, who is someone I pay a lot of attention to, you know, a really great inspiration to me. He calls it like a content tilt. And it's that thing that makes your your content remarkable, different and stand out. And, you know, there's lots of people who identify like an audience needs and then meet that with a with a piece of content. But there's very few people who make that that special and, and remarkable. And for a lot of creators, yes, it's people who understand their their audience. They they stick to their niche. They they niche down very far. And you know, you could argue that I I come into this kind of bracket as a as a creator. My my business is a content first business. I, I create for um, education marketers working in higher ed. I mean, that's pretty niche. Um, right. I have success in that area because you know that's that's what I do. That's my swim lane. Um, and it's the same for other creators as well. They'll have their swim lane and they get known for that and they get good at that. And, you know, that's how they can build uh, business relationships because they have this great understanding of audience. And, uh, and that's what brands want, isn't it? They want access to these these highly differentiated audiences and, and audiences that have high engagement rates. And creators are almost a passport to that. Got it. Love it. And I think the first time I actually came across your profile and how I linked up with you was you made a, a post in the higher education hashtag in LinkedIn around creators. And I was like, oh, this guy's got a good perspective. But you were <laughs> talking specifically around Twitch, which yeah, I was like, okay, this is another step on top of it. Can you explain a little bit more about Twitch and why there might be opportunities in higher ed uh, to utilize this channel? Well, this this is it, and you know, I'll, I'll back up a little bit just to say why I was I was coming from with this this perspective. Um, I don't uh -huh. know if it's the same in the in the US, but in the UK we have main social media channels for universities, and then often we have a a whole range of sub social media channels, usually for an academic school or, or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And in the past, these channels have largely reflected the structure of the, of the university, right? And this comes from the basis of communications being around command and control. It's like a standard sort of way of communication. Mm -hmm. What I see now with, with some universities is they build social media channels around um, subject specifics uh, or niches that they want to be known for. And this is how I came across Twitch and how Full Sail University uses Twitch. So Twitch is um, kind of like YouTube, but it's built around live streaming. Um, it's a little bit more crazy than YouTube. Uh, you just have to go onto the average stream, and it feels like everything's hitting you at once. It's it's overstimulating is, is the best way I can describe it. Right. Um, but what Full Sail have done, because Twitch is like a platform primarily for, for gaming, it has other areas in there as well, but it's mainly a place where gamers stream. And Full Sail is a university that's known for um, uh, gaming courses, it's known for esports and all that area 
um, of, of the gaming sort of industry. It's built this channel, it's got 15,000 followers, it streams regularly, um, you get to see their students in competitive matches. And the thing that really sealed it for me was that they, they also run like a weekly um, education show for people trying to get into esports. And that's for everyone. It's not just for people at the uni. It's for everyone potentially interested. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at this and thinking, wow, this is a great like media and, and content marketing play because you're, you're literally giving this, this young audience the education to get started and the people delivering that content, the actual course leader um, for that program is a gamer and he is a streamer a- as well. So you, you see this kind of beautiful, well, for me, it's like, because this is the job I do. I, I try and look for stuff like this with universities creating these kind of unique experiences. And I've never seen anything quite like that before. I'm sure there's other examples, but I'm so used to like social media channels being focused around schools and, and functions rather than the subject area and if you want to have a look at this please do it's Mm -hmm. uh, also a university's twitch channel it's highly engaging and i just think media plays like that for universities are going to be a massive unlock in the future yeah and it this might be a loaded question but like what what is the value of creating unique experiences what is the the purpose or the value of that from a a business perspective for institutions there's a few ways I, you know, I think about this. Firstly, it's it, it's the questions of audience growth. Um, so you can look at this as like a recruitment pipeline uh, in the in the Twitch example. So the the, the mm-hmm. idea is rather than kind of you know, a, approaching um, uh, a potential you know gaming student through your traditional kind of campaign mechanisms like ads and things like that, you don't have any relationship with them. You haven't built up like. Um, a, a consistent uh, relationship via the, the the valuable content you produce over time. Um, the the kind of alternative is that you do invest in like building media properties. You build the audience first, and then they come to you when they're they're ready to buy. And I'm sure this process takes a lot longer, but the lead quality that you get uh, via that channel uh, is far greater than the kind of average stuff you get through just running a campaign. Um, uh, of ads targeting people and, and, and just kind of hoping for the best. I know it's not quite like that. It's a little bit different, but um, I just feel there's so much more, so much more value for universities, especially because they have all these kind of niche subject areas and all this knowledge that they can mm-hmm. build these things. They can build publications. They can have content marketing initiatives running and they have the authority and the thought leaders, literally corridors of them, you know, almost ready to contribute and to build those, those relationships. So, you know, for me, it's like kind of building your own route to market rather than going out to all these kind of social platforms and you know, running your ads, paying the fee to, to reach people. If you've got the patience right. and you're strategic about it, you can build that audience for your for yourself that you alone own um, over time. Got it. And I'm, I'm getting, this is going to be a really tactical question, but um, I know... I'm somewhat familiar with Twitch. And so I know that in a category IRL, which stands for in real life is, is a really growing, is it channel or category? I forget the right term for it, but it's a growing um, channel or topic in Twitch, which just means people like literally going about their, their daily lives. And some people live really interesting lives. So a ton of people will like join in and watch this. Like what are, what are some ways that schools like, can actually utilize Twitch? Like, is it like 
showing the day in the life of or like showing the first week of school or showing game day like are those all like yeah, ideas I that mean, you can utilize to embed into your insane. streams yeah i i think all of that is a is a great option i think you've got the, the campus tour sort of angle you could take with it i think there's probably more um more value in unpacking course content i mean i have seen a few creators using twitch wow to, okay um teach things like uh, cooking and stuff like that it's the same principle they're still teaching a skill and i wonder if mm. there is potential on the platform if the quality if the actual uh, degree in the, the course the program is relevant um to, to the audience to to unpack that um i've always felt that in in higher ed we have a almost like an unfair advantage with, with content marketing because I know in the past when I've gone into like private organisations, the first thing I, no I normally need to do with content marketing is kind of kind of mine the knowledge out of people's heads, like in sales team or, or various other places where it's it's kind of stored. But in higher ed, like the the content's already nicely organised. It's in courses, it's in programmes. You just kind of need right. to repurpose it for for channels. And I know that's over sim simplistic, um, right? But you know that's the that's the unlock for me. And you know often they're a demand gen strategy in a higher ed context is, is built around the art of repurposing. I mean, think about all the great stuff that happens during open houses and, you know, academics um, speaking about subject areas. Usually that stuff just happens on one day and it's not captured, it's not reused. And at best, it's probably uploaded in one single video file. Imagine if you actually repurposed it, cut it down into five minute videos, added context in social media. It right. would just fly. But no one does it, or very few people do it. And I just think the, right. the opportunity is, is just there for the taking if a university gets their head around this stuff. I love it. I mean, you're taking the thing that you're best at doing, which is the education and packaging in into your content marketing and demand generation strategy. Makes sense to is, me. It's pretty much what you're saying. Yeah. Do you, do you see, like, you know, with more traditional institutions that – academia and marketing departments, whether that's admissions, enrollment, do they, do you see them usually not working together? And is that what makes it difficult? I see it, it's hard. In terms of creating the content marketing strategy from, from the education's perspective. I see, I see some people doing it, but it's definitely not common practice. And do you know, the irony is like right. some, some universities, some of the, the greatest universities in the US, like MIT and Harvard Business School, they know how to do content marketing. I mean, look at um, MIT Technology Review, right? It's a separate publication, right. separate media property, but it's basically an advert for MIT research, right? Um, but it's highly engaging. It's a brilliant publication and it's revenue generating for the institution too. So the, the knowledge in how to have media properties and, and do content marketing within higher ed is, is already happening. It, it just doesn't happen at, at scale and across uh, most institutions. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always like wondering why the UK doesn't have something equivalent to MIT technology review. Um, it, I can't think of anything that's quite as prestigious or as, as focused as that publication and or distributed as, as far and wide as that is. But I would have felt like a publication that focuses on research and highlighting the, the themes and topics of interest in institution um, is a relatively it, it, kind of common thing that a, a university could do, <laughs> you know, 
typically you'll see like the news section on websites and things, but it's never the same. Right. A huge uh, uh, potential there for, for universities to highlight the research they do, but do it in a way that talks about the themes and the topics and makes it more accessible mm-hmm. to the public audience. We're moving beyond press releases here. Interesting. So, you know, what I'm hearing is you're create, basically creating like a, what we used to call an editorial or building an audience, which is partly what I'm trying to do here with the podcast as well. And so it, the focus is, you know, you're trying to own your own channel is, is kind of what I'm hearing, right? It's like, that's I a, I think you're right. Um, and it might, yeah. you, know, you don't necessarily have to own your own channel. I mean, when we talk about repurposing strategies and, and cutting up video, right. Doing there is your, you know, you're building your, your presence in, in, um, in, in native channels, aren't you? And, you know, you, you run the risk with those, you, you want to get your exposure and you want to get your reach, but you want to make sure that you have another, um, owned channel offering that you can, you can offer to people. I mean, for, for my business, I, you know, I have a newsletter, which is a common way for, um, you know, to email subscribers. I have access to those people. I can communicate at any time. And I, pal- and I partner that with my, my content creation in, in LinkedIn and, you know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, one, one business, but you know, you can't really equate what I do to uh, like a university, but you can equate it to like a certain function or a subject area in a university. I talk mm-hmm. about marketing. There's, there's no reason why a university couldn't talk about its marketing programs in the same way that I talk about marketing, you know, and it's, it's hard work to, co- to coordinate because you need a content team that's has a lead for audience growth. So they, they know like what the overall mm-hmm. sort of vision is um and then you need um channel experts working in that team and, and feeding into the the subject area experts in academic schools and i say it here and it sounds like a blueprint you can just like put in place like that but it's a it's a very different way of of thinking and i'm, I'm sure you're aware of that as well definitely yes and i liked how you know you were observing mit's um you know channel with and, and I'd love to understand, like, you know, what is kind of going on in, in the UK um, from you said that that's something that they could adopt here in the UK. You, you don't see a school doing that properly. Um, you know, what are some different observations you see between the two the countries? Yeah, um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see the UK looking at more alternative models for education. Um, you know, we, we we have a lot of traditionalist roots. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, one, one very common way that right. a student experiences education in the UK is they they do two years, they do a placement, and then they come back for their, their final year, which is actually quite innovative, really, if you think about it. It could actually give students work experience during the degree. Um, but in the US, I, I see all kinds of really interesting uh, models. So, for instance, I see um, institutions... Uh, emerging that are entirely driven by sponsorship from companies and brands and the education is uh, top-notch but it's provided for free so there's no tuition fee and students get to uh, get to study speak to industry experts and you know they they leave with this this knowledge and a good route into to industry um so yeah i mean for me i i'd just like to see you know thinking a wee bit outside um of the box and yeah and in sure i mean there's some great examples in uk higher ed where you've got we've, we've got an institute called the dyson institute right and uh, you know this is a a private corporation that started its own engineering school and it has a brilliant program and it's a very focused niche um education offer so the, 
there's, there's, there's plenty of stuff going on in the UK, but I'd love to see more education institutions like pop up that go, right, you know, we can teach people, we can educate them for free, and we can do it in very close partnership with, with, uh, with business. Um, the, in terms of the, like the US uh, and what they could, uh, what you could potentially pick up from um, like the, the UK, I, I think the UK has a fantastic um, degree apprenticeship offer. And this is sort of like uh, you know, increasingly popular courses over here. And essentially, it's like, a, it's like an apprenticeship, but the, the relationship is between the university and a company. And there's a certain amount of places uh, in the organisation um, for students, but then students get the whole education while working at the, at the company. They get paid a salary. Um, Got it. And mm -hmm. at the end of the, the, the time of the apprenticeship, you know, they, they leave with a, they leave with a degree and, you know, certainly this year that route to study is becoming more and more popular with the, the cost of living crisis in the UK and, you know, people are looking for different ways to do their education. So I think there's both sides, people can learn from each other, but yeah, ultimately I'd, I'd like to see a few more options for students, um, or at least see a few more options highlighted to students about how they can acquire an education. Got it. And do you have some examples about, I, th I think you said free tuition, which is uh, yeah, not, I'm, I'm... I think in the US, it's not the general thought of higher education, but do you have some examples of where the sponsorships are providing education at low cost or, or for free in the US? Yeah, um, I'm sorry, it's gone out of my head now. Yeah, that was it. Um, I saw one. Oh, you're good. In, in in the US, it was called One School or something like that. And it was a it's an institution uh -huh. that's providing education for people who want to break into the creative industries like advertising, copywriting, things like that. And okay. you know, I was attracted to it because I think, wow, that's that's kind of the areas that I could have really done with when I was a you know a kid. <laughs> um, like, wow, it was education. And, Got it. You know, these are niche offerings, right? But, um, and I'm not saying it's like the the kind of the way the US is going by, by a long shot, but um, th these things will become right. more popular um, because of the price of education um, in the US. And I'm, I'm also seeing there's a, a few things popped up on my radar was uh, where the, you, some schools are giving away, like colleges in specific are giving away um, like free semesters with like, you know, all the perks and things like that because of that pricing pressure. We don't right. do any of that in the UK, um, but we don't face the same pricing pressures and um, the same enrollment um, problems that you're you're facing at the moment, Eve. Oh, okay, great. And I, I was curious. So, and the, the enrollment cliff is definitely a hot topic here in higher ed in the US. What are you seeing in the UK? Is is it the same no, potential I mean, scariness or? No, I mean competition is always quite high regardless of where you are and what you're doing um but mm -hmm. we're certainly not seeing an, an enrollment cliff um you know our, our recruitment student numbers is is going up but i think we're kind of reaching the peak of that sort of trend now um we'll probably mm -hmm. see declining numbers over the next few years but we're, we're definitely not going through um anything like what what you're going through and because you know I, I got the impression that the one of the main drivers of your enrollment cliff was just the unaffordability of education. It sort of reached that tipping point. Whereas in the UK, Correct. undergraduate fees are, um, they're capped. They can't go above um, a certain level. Um, gotcha. Postgraduate can, um, and international fees, there's, there's no cap. But yeah, for the, the core recruitment, which is undergraduate home students, yeah, the, the money 
can't be can't be changed yeah i'm sure that makes a huge difference i know in the u.s also um alternative education and just questioning higher education in general are also drivers of some of the enrollment glyph approaching as well yeah there's a lot of reports coming out around i read one recently um it might have been from pew research center but essentially highlighting that um the number one form of education the alternative route to education for people who choose not to go to university is youtube <laughs> um which is <laughs> you know quite quite interesting you think well yeah i mean you know if you can't if you don't have the option and you want to learn specific skills you can pretty much learn anything on youtube i mean i've, I've seen videos on there of people performing like um, heart transplants and stuff like that now i'm not saying you should learn that stuff from a youtube video but if you want to <laughs> learn not. it yeah exactly um, yeah if you want to learn it it's there you know um and well, i mean what an amazing platform it is and it's adapting its offer for education providers it's releasing um ad-free players for for universities it's upgrading its hmm. analytics so you can see how people move between videos rather than just the search terms they put in it's it's uh, it's a giant but it's um it's still innovating and we all look at tiktok as like this you know incredible thing and it is don't get me wrong but but YouTube is far more versatile and it's much more of a friend to um, higher ed for, for more purposes than I think TikTok will, will ever be. Like high, higher intent because people are searching for a specific query on like how to do something, right? Is that what you're saying? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I mean, TikTok's obviously updated its search functionality recently. It's increased the amount of um, uh, description you can put around a video. Uh -huh. um, so you can, to, to an extent, you know have an seo strategy um for for tiktok if, if that's what you you want to do and i think a lot of social platforms are, are are including that now as part of their offer because i think google announced recently didn't they that was it 40 percent of gen z actually use social media for search rather than um traditional right. search engines in google so um it, it's just another thing we have to keep in mind really um and, and like seo no longer is uh, no longer limited to just the uh, search engine results pages gotcha yeah I, I think personally i've I've seen google search just search specifically definitely just queries decreasing bids increasing or yeah. cost per click it, it's definitely not the only platform you should be advertising anymore no, no, if that's all um, you're doing <laughs> yeah and i think uh you know gone are the days uh, of just having like search engine optimization is your your core yep. strategy now and i've always felt like if you were just doing that one thing it's a bit of a race to the bottom because you're just constantly competing on on search terms rather than actual audience and rather than right. proper authority in in the space that you're playing in i'm glad i we agree on that um another question i had again about differences between the uk and the us is another similar topic to the enrollment cliff is around employee retention so this sure. is an internal issue but you know are there, are you seeing the same issues in the uk as well are you hearing the same issues um, i know it's a big problem here in the us and so mm. love to get your perspective on that too uh, i mean what i will say is that at universities in, in the uk people tend to be quite well looked after um however that doesn't mean that there's there's not you know quite quite a bit of movement i think that there's a lot less movement in, in the UK in this regards than, than the US. Um, but I've mm -hmm. seen plenty of my colleagues um, move out of the sector and into ed tech or, you know, something kind of 
kind of related to, to what they do. Um, it, it largely also depends on how university respond in post pandemic. Uh, you can correlate the amount of people who go and search for new jobs with the institution that says, get back to your desk. Um, and I've seen examples of universities who have had a very harsh, uh, yeah, you're back in the office now. And I've seen examples where universities are quite forward thinking and go, well, actually, why don't we just work default remote and you can use the office space when you, you need to. And it's the latter universities right. who kind of lean into the flexibility and, you know, care about the, their staff's, their staff's personal life as well as what they can add to the organization that tend to have less of a problem. Um, and I don't understand, the thing to things I, I don't understand, and I, I see this in a lot of university job ads, um, that working remotely isn't accepted as like a default thing. Um, and it sh totally should be. It's like there's the option to work, that text is somewhere on the lines of, there may be the option to work remotely, you'll have to apply for like your own sort of terms. I think you're not going to compete. You kind of have to have this stuff as default <laughs> now because right. you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And we've all seen the merits of what remote work can deliver. I, I just feel that if you're just focused on getting people in the office, you're, you're limiting your talent pool as well because, you know, why would you just want to recruit from a, a, you know, a local area when you could recruit the best talent from, from further afield? It, it just boggles my right. mind, really. But... There's some great stuff happening in unis and, you know, right. I think the forward thinking employers are actually leading into the trend of remote work. Got it. Yeah, I have similar thoughts. I mean, some roles definitely you have to be in office and so yeah. it's a bit difficult, but yeah, I, I totally understand. I'm, I'm working from my home today as well. So um, I appreciate having that flexibility for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean my whole business is remote. <laughs> there wasn't a Nintendo office in any of the schools in, <laughs> Unfortunately in the not, UK. No. Um, <laughs> one university I, I worked for, we were allowed to bring in the games consoles once per year at Christmas, which was great at a lovely institution. Yeah. In university. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a default thing, unfortunately. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it looks like you've really, made your office space your own which i love it certainly is yeah um i'd love to learn a little bit more about your your business as well education marketer um sure. can you tell us a little bit more about that as well like why you started it you know what were you hoping yeah. to accomplish i think it's it's quite amazing and i think our our audience could benefit from learning about it that's uh, that's good of you um well for me i was uh, an education marketer um just like everyone else really um and when the pandemic struck, I was overwhelmed. I couldn't keep up with stuff. I couldn't get a, a map in my own head. And I thought, wouldn't it be useful as a place that people like me could to go to get like a, a digest of what's important? And it mm -hmm. didn't exist. And um, it, if it did exist, it was in the form of like, you know, standard newsletters that try and sell you a service afterwards, or it always felt like you're wading through something to, to get to right. the value. And, I decided to start a, a free newsletter that was published um, uh, once per week, and it essentially gave like a digest for uh, in digital content marketing, media news, but from a higher education perspective. So not the sort of typical stuff you'd you'd get. And I started this, and I sent it to um, uh, to eight friends on the first first edition, and 
you know, now I have over half like the UK's universities like signed up and um, amazing. Uh, getting more people coming from the from the US because um, a lot of like digital media is as you know it's it, it's kind of based in, in in the US around content demand mm-hmm. and things like that and that's where I speak and that's that's where I find my my high audience and I've, I've been building that newsletter over the last two years and, and recently I went full-time at the business probably about eight months ago now um, and I continue to augment that content through uh, thank you very much um, augment that content <laughs> through through LinkedIn posts and all kinds of different content offices like lives on LinkedIn right. and podcast appearances and you know it's an audience first content first business I've never run an ad um, all of my um, business comes from um, inbound and you know following the demand generation strategies that I myself have been inspired by over the last um, five or six mm-hmm. five or six years so and are most of the topics around uh, digital what, what kind of topics do you cover is it like digital strategy increasing enrollment um, what, what topics yeah. do you cover I mean I, I, I mainly cover um, um, digital content and media media news so Amazing. my you know my lens as a, as a content marketer as a demand gen um, person I, I look at the ways that you know marketers can take advantage of just get inspired to build their own media media properties and and build audiences essentially like I've done for my own business but you know I see so much potential for higher ed to do that because I don't know any other sector that has so much knowledge and expertise focused in one area and I look at like your your typical you know um, we've spoken about uh, Refine Labs in the past haven't we and um, and Chris Walker yep. he's doing and I look at that model and I think why isn't higher ed doing this? Because they have so many thought leaders. Um, and you know, we know why they're not doing it, because there's a huge gap between taking that knowledge and converting it into a native publishing, right. building community events and things. But, you know, I want that for higher ed. You know, I, I want more higher ed institutions to learn that you know, when you do content marketing, the content marketing doesn't have to attract students. The content marketing itself can generate the revenue. Um, so it's bringing models like that and inspiring people and just kind of getting it in front of them and showing them the operations behind it well, how, how to run it is what right. I've done. So I say it's higher, ed market, higher education marketer, and it is. I do talk about higher education marketing in general, but I, I keep right. it very focused through, through that lens because that's where I think the, the future of marketing is. I love it, yeah. I mean, throughout a lot of these calls, one resounding thing I hear is, higher ed marketing is undervalued. And so I think as a content creation channel, you're, you're really adding value and making those thought leaders understand that they are providing value and hopefully those around them and other departments are, are seeing that as well. I, I mean, I hope so. And you know, with the, with the pivot towards creators, I think this, the conversation becomes more open, doesn't it? Because you know, I was talking um, on a you know a different kind of trends call earlier, but we were talking about how the default way that young people consume content today is via creators. Um, it's ninety five percent of teens use YouTube, right? And the, the default way right. they, they see it is through that style of content, and yet businesses don't usually create content like that. Um, and at the moment, I, I just think it's a bit of a it's just a bit of a gap and a missed opportunity and we're not talking 
the, the right language and I think once we kind of bring creators on board and we grow our own sort of creators in-house and we do better partnerships with them I think we start to talk that language and, and you know appear more attractive to, to potential students but you know like most things it's a new sort of concept um, and I remember when social media right. was new and how there's reservations to get into it and I think I just need to well mm -hmm. we all do just need to invite higher ed institutions to you know, really lean into this this trend and, and fully fully embrace right. it because it's and, genuinely where um, marketing's going, especially if you're working in like a digital media space. Absolutely. And I think from hundreds of years ago, the best marketing or the best ROI for marketing is, is word of mouth. And I just see like creators as, you know, connected to that channel of word of mouth. Right. And so yeah. it's not a old theory or, strategy but it, it's you know obviously a new concept <laughs> yeah you you're absolutely right yep. and how word of mouth links into dark social and all those other elements as well i yeah i i think that we're going through a bit of a, a transition period in marketing i mean the profession changes every two years anyway but i don't know about you but i feel like I'm right kind of really steep curve at the moment and i read this stuff every day so it's you know it's hard to it's hard to imagine like what's going through the head of, of most other marketers. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm behind, so I can't, I can't keep up, but you know, it's, it's a very right. exciting time to, to be in marketing for sure. And if you, you want to lean into these opportunities, especially in higher ed, I don't think there's a better time to be doing it. Love it. Thank you so much, Kyle, for, for joining us today and you know, sharing everything that you did. I was wondering where our listeners and our audience could connect with you outside of this podcast. Yeah, best place is educationmarketer.co.uk or um, I'm on LinkedIn every day. <laughs> you, you can't you can't miss me. So just right. keep there. And you can sign up for a newsletter to absorb the content right through your email yeah, on Education Marketer. Um, yep. Need a top call to action on the homepage. Perfect. Yeah. So sign up for the newsletter and connect with Kyle on LinkedIn. And to our audience, thanks so much for joining us today. And Kyle, again, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem, anytime.